We've got the sitting federal member for Macquarie, Susan Teltman, has dropped in to share the Christmas chair and she's brought me, um, the, Wilco, the chocolates are mine. <laughs> I did say they were oh, for all of you. They're for everybody. Ah, <laughs> oh, no, well, not if I get them to them first. It's good to see you, Susie. You haven't been in for a while, and we just sort of come in, dropped in to say good day, and recap the year. That yeah, was. Well, we we only just rose from Parliament less than a fortnight ago, so Parliament sat quite late into December. And so where my office is now wound up for the year, of course, we're, we'll be monitoring all the emails if anybody has some urgent need. Uh, but pretty much things are winding down. And let's hope that this year there is no natural disaster to ruin everyone's Christmas. We've got a pandemic. That's bad enough. <laughs> the worst year in history. You know, we, we had, the, we had the, uh, the droughts, the flood, and now the pand- pandemic. Like, it couldn't get any worse. So, you know, what's on the agenda for you in the new year? Well, I think we're all hoping for a bit of peace, aren't we, in 2021 Mm. and hopefully the rollout of a vaccine. Now, it's due to roll out in March. I'm not sure whether that's possible for that to be brought forward, but we'd certainly like to see that fast-tracked a little bit, assuming all the approvals go according to plan. But it's due to be... uh, um, given the go-ahead in January, but not roll out till March. Um, so I think that will really, the effectiveness of that will really give us some hope for the future, that the economy doesn't have to keep opening up and closing down, which is just horrific for, mm. for accommodation providers and small businesses. But more than anything, there's the impact on people. And for anyone who's got family and aged care, I know it's been a really tough week uh, here not being able to head into see them yes and i certainly know my i think my mum managed to see my dad today for the first time in in a, a week or two right uh, but he's certainly not able to come out for christmas so mm. i th- look i think it's going to be a muted christmas for yeah, a so, lot of people so tomorrow. you know people are asking me how many in, how many inside how many outside the northern beaches we know is all closed down um someone's well someone wrong with talking to someone this morning and you allowed 50 people outside and 10 inside <laughs> i don't know if that's right well look it's always worthwhile checking on the new south wales mm. government site if you google new south wales covid you will get the link to all the rules what I know is that you're 10 guests at your home on Christmas Day. Yeah. Not at any one time. That's 10 guests in total. Kids not included. Excluding children under, under 12. 12. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we had to make a decision to split our Christmas so that they're, instead of one big group, there's unfortunately two two siblings, my brother and I, my brother will host one, we'll host one at our place unexpectedly. Right. And my mum has to choose which one she's at. <laughs> So, uh, I, I think the I think the favoured son might might get that gig because he's got the grandchildren, the little grandchildren. <laughs> ah, yeah, I've got the that, big ones. That's the winner. You will and, I, and I think people are having to make those sorts of decisions all over the place. You know, especially Christmas Eve parties, which are, I know a lot of people host fr- friends for Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um. So I think that's going to subdue everybody a bit. But hey. It's, I think we're all feeling like it's the end of a really tough year. You know, it's a year where politically we've tried to be as constructive as we can and supportive as we can because this isn't something just to play politics with. So tough, tough year, but 
tough year to be in, op- in the opposition. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, and a year that's nearly over, thank goodness. Yeah, for sure. See, Wilt goes here, iron off our chocolates, apparently. <laughs> he was all hell-bent on keeping them to himself. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, know, I know what it's like to be on radio working across Christmas and New Year, and a little bit of chocolate never hurts. No, no, just keep us sustained us and keep the energy levels up. That's for sure. So, um, yeah, and opposition, as you say, you you don't want to be too negative, but you know, how do you get a how do you get a crack at the uh, at, at the libs the way things are going? Like, um, well, look, yeah, how do you, think, what do you I keep think, them honest with? Like, I, I think there's a there's so much that ha- under the cover of COVID has not had. Um, exposure, really disturbing things. The, you know, the robo debt, which was this year shown to be an illegal collection of money uh, from people. The Centrelink thing. This is collecting from Centrelink yep. recipients, whether they're youth, um, young people yes. on youth allowance, mm. whether it's uh, um, people who are studying and receiving an allowance while while they're studying, or those on unemployment benefits, and. Uh, the it was ruled this year that it was totally illegal and the government has quietly just decided it's going to pay uh pay it's they basically put up 2 billion dollars of compensation and repayment that they're doing wow so it's a it's a massive blunder by the government it is. and yet the minister responsible the original minister was Scott Morrison then there was another one in between and the current one is Stuart Robert and he's just kept his job and, you know, you could even say he's got a promotion in the last reshuffle. There is no ministerial accountability. on, And that's just one example, the deaths in aged care. Aged care is 100% well, yeah. a federal government mm, responsibility. Bad as it gets. Border protection and quarantine is 100% an Australian government, a federal responsibility. Um, and yet, you know, what I've seen all year is the government very quickly pushing away anything that's a bit icky or tricky to somebody else. And I think, um, you know, there's only so much that people are really willing to delve into that when they're worrying about their own um, health and their own safety or their own survival of their, their business or the protection of their job. So it's our job to make sure we know all those things that are happening and over time when people are ready to, you know, when they're ready to sit down and chat about those things, we'll be very happy to do that. But right now, I think understandably, health comes first. Yeah. Livelihood mm. is very close behind. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we just, I think we could have a, you know, a rough economy going forward. Uh, but hopefully people will be able to hang on to their jobs and not be punished for keeping their jobs. Job seekers, should that be kept on rolling out? Well, I, th- I think if you're a business that's struggling, you should have JobKeeper for as long as you need it. I mean, travel agents. Now, seriously, mm. tell me, how by 31st of March are they going to get back anywhere near, you know, 50 or 80% of their business? Oh, for sure. It's just a ridiculous thing. Musicians and performers. Yep. You know, the the viability of the venues, all those things. Things are hanging on because of JobKeeper. We absolutely supported the government in introducing it. In fact, we were the ones calling for it and the government was saying no, 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 no until it finally said yes. And then it did it in such a way that it cut out a lot of people. So, you know, there's the economy is going to be front and centre for people, but it's our job to make sure that things aren't covered up 
by the government and, and we will unashamedly keep doing that. For sure, like it reminds, reminds me of an old politician, keep the bastards honest. Indeed, John Chip, the <laughs> Don Democrat. Chip, yes. um, and in fact, John had just left Parliament when I went to Canberra as a journalist and he his the next leader, Janine Haynes, was there. Right. And I got to see what what role they played, and it was a really appropriate role. And you were the ABC, you were a no, journalist, was, wasn't you? Yeah, it was yeah. commercial radio, 2UE, right. yeah. uh, and, uh, which was the largest commercial network at the time. Uh, so I had three years down there reporting on federal politics as an absolute baby. I was 21 when I went there, so I didn't know very much. You didn't have Google to help you get the history of something, I'd have to go and speak to people like Laurie Oakes or Peter Harvey or, uh, you know, if I dared, Alan Ramsey to say, hey, can you fill in this background for me? Because, you know, I either wasn't born when that happened or I, I was still in school when that <laughs> happened. <laughs> uh, and I was lucky to have some terrific journos around me. Mungo McCallum, who's just died, is another was another yeah. great mind. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, and the role of the Democrats then... You know, they perceived that the the oppositions of those days were not doing their job in keeping the government honest. Yeah. Now, I think... Whether it be Labor or Liberal or... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And when I was there, it was Labor was in government and the Liberals were in opposition. Uh, so I think we, we do stand, you know, we keep that mandate. It doesn't mean that you oppose everything. That's right. Well, you, yeah. your take... Your take, um, the lips are starting to get serious with China. Now, just add to the, the floods, the, the the drought, the pandemic, and then we've got the Chinese because we're looking, we want to know the source mm. of, just because we said the American, any country could have said that and copped the same thing from China, but we're copping it now, you know, with barley and, and you know, wine, you name it, we're copping it, but they still want our, our ore and stuff like selective stuff. Now, Chinese... You know, I've touched on this before. The Chinese own 9 million hectares of Australian agricultural land. We cannot buy a hot dog stand in China. We can lease a room, something like that. Where, where, where's Labor stand on that? You know, they've just bought this island off the Queensland, uh, Queensland coast and kicked everyone off. Like it was on a current affair last week there. I don't um, know about that one, but a lot of these policies are bipartisan because we are a democracy and we are a free capitalist economy where countries have always owned portions of us. But I think the, the key is about um, the the freedom for us to be able to trade. Right now, there are ships locked out, carrying coal locked off the coast of China. Um, the government has really failed to make any headroads in doing this. So the government, here's another example where, yes, China has done some um, unconscionable things that we absolutely should be pushing back about. But at the same time, it's the government's job to ensure that people who are exporting do have the capacity to do that. And I think we need to see a much greater effort by the government to work on the relationship with China in a way that is respectful on both sides. So there's mm. a lot of work to do. I'm not sure anyone has seen the relationship at this level. Uh, no, it uh, hasn't. No one and it start, but it started with the virus, on. didn't it? Like it started with the virus. We called them out on that. Oh, I think it probably started before that, and I think Trump has a lot to do with the um, antagonism that's being created and the the 
bully boy tactics and the mm, you know, and he's, this, he's still this doing is that. real testosterone fueled stuff, isn't <laughs> he's it? He's still so doing it. I think Penny Wong's made it very clear that she's not going to tell the government. She's not going to have this debate publicly, uh, but she's very willing to work with the government on this because this trade relationship is really important to many exporters mm. in Australia and many industries. At the same time, there are many other countries we could be trading with. Yes. And India is a classic example. There's been lip service given to the relationship with India, but no serious work. You know, you can take the lazy approach and go, oh, well, China's going to be take everything that we, we've got to sell, so we don't need to worry too much. Or you can have been putting in the hard yards, and that's the bit that hasn't happened. And we really need to diversify and work on those trading relationships now urgently. And India is a beautiful example of a country mm. very keen to do business with us. The, culturally, there's a deep understanding, uh, and I think it provides lots of opportunity for us. So mm. there's a heap of hard work to be done by by the Trade Minister in this coming year. For sure. Well, like these millions of uh, Indians haven't even got um, lights, electricity, running water. That's why they need our coal, and, and they're starting to buy uh, things in Australia too because they need our oil and that stuff. And, you know, I think India's, you know, they're not bad people. We've got a lot of them here. <laughs> hey, listen, yeah, it was a common bond of cricket there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we, we sort of half-given it to them. Not to mention the, co you know, the colonial history uh, means there's lots of things about their systems of law that that. Um, are not dissimilar to our own. Their system of government, system of law. So, you know, you're never going to find a country exactly like us. New Zealand's not exactly like us. Um, mm. But there's plenty of common ground on which to be able to build a really thriving trade relationship. For sure. And I think um, New Zealand's looking at foreign ownership too. Um, they're um, sort of going down that road where, you know, uh, enough's enough sort of thing. But, you know, as you said, you know, we're an open country at the moment but and the government's looking at um, different um, uh, avenues of um, infrastructure and stuff. They're looking at stuff that they can't sell. They can't sell the farms and, and stuff like that. But um, we uh, we as a country sort of feel like that it's been um, ripped out from underneath us, all the farmers and that, and they're, they're drilling us, as I said, on wine, you name it. They're giving it to us on that. Um, the government's saying, well, they're not picking up the phone. So, <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's clearly the relationship is broken down. I, I mean, I think the, the real reality is I was just checking the data, but in 2019 um, China's investment in Australia represented represented 2% of foreign investment capital. 2%? 2%. And, you know, I think there's the perception, there, there's perception and there's reality. When we were in government, we actually started work on a database of foreign-owned uh, businesses, properties. I think it started with properties, agricultural properties. Right. And that was the first thing to really get a picture, to have them all registered and to have a, a public picture of what the ownership was of all different countries because Britain owns, still owns a lot of us, the US owns a lot of us. Um, and we lost government and Tony Abbott kept the work going on that but there was a decision made a few years ago to keep it secret. Now I think that's a mistake because I think these registries need to be public. For sure, you know, you for might sure. Have to, there might be some privacy reasons why you need to um, you know, not disclose personal details but we need to know, you know, what part of our country is owned and by whom? Uh, and a foreign register does that, whether it's buildings, 
in, yeah. in the Hawkesbury, whether it's uh, housing properties, whether it's commercial properties, whether it's agricultural properties or, right. or businesses. So my understanding is the register exists. It's just not public anymore, which was the intent we had when we first started developing it, which would have been a decade ago. Yeah, well, that, that, that's good. Yeah, bring it out. Let's see who's buying the company, who we, who we want and sort of who's, uh, who's friendly, who's not. So where, where does... Um Susie gave him in 2021. There we go. 21. It's oh, my God. We're glad to see the, the, the end of this year, the worst year in history by far. Oh, I don't Look, I don't know about that. I mean, I don't know how you define the worst year, but how we, for, for our region, for Australia, it may not have been the worst year. Yeah. Um, it's been the worst year that I can recall, that's for sure, in my lifetime, but yeah. then I haven't survived world wars. Well, yeah, and you know, I think things were pretty grim back in back at that time. Back when, in forty five, and the it, young what, men yeah. from whole towns were wiped out. Yeah, so, Afghanistan. We're we're still in our pause well, in that. We're still there, there's still those those sorts of deaths and things. So, uh, you know, I don't I don't think I've got the the helicopter view yet, but I can tell you it feels like it's been a pretty bloody awful year <laughs> and I, for one, will be very happy to see the back of it. And our year, of course, started in November last year, really, if you think about it, because yeah. the fires escalating uh, around mid-November, it had started prior to that, but the Gospers Mountain Fire escalating. Right now there's lots of people going through anniversaries and they can be really hard might might be nothing for some people, mm. but I certainly know I'm not a fan of bushfire anniversaries. And after the first one, I think we decided to um, escape from our uh, our Blue Mountains area on anniversaries because it it's just you just get reminded by it whether you can whether yeah. you want to or not for sure. And I see you in Parliament there because I got you um, on Facebook and that. So where where is the NDIS going? Does it seem like the government's to me, I get these papers in the mail because you know, my son's on it. Yeah. And I've been told that if you fill out these papers, the government's looking for some way will say, well, no, say, well, no you, don't, you, know, you don't really need the NDIS. Yeah, they I, try to trick you up by sending yeah. out these papers. Like, it's, it's on, we know it's costing billions, but like, you know, people with disabilities had it tough for years and now yeah. they're getting something, they're getting right. all the, 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 you know, the, the support, support they, they need. They need and their families are getting the support in most the, cases. Especially the need. families. But no, what we are really concerned about the government's intent on the NDIS. Something they say they support, something they say that they have bipartisanship on, but they've decided that each person on the NDIS will do about a three-hour audition for their benefits. One interview, uh, and it could go for three hours, and based on that, there'll be a determination made. These three are called hours. independent What if they're not non-verbal people? Well, what if they're having a Autism, good day? Autism, anyone. What if they're having a good day? Schizophrenics. What no. if they're having yep. a really bad day? Like, you can just, all the possibilities. Three hours. My son can't hold attention for half an hour, let alone three. So we're really concerned about this. Yeah. Um, Bill Shorten's the Shadow Minister and he uh, spoke about it again this week. These independent assessments sound good in practice. In We are very concerned in theory how they work. And now we learnt this week that the decisions were made based on uh, consultation with 35 people. 35. So thousands of people's lives are going, tens of thousands of people's lives are going to be affected based on consultation 
and evolving of this process with with 35 people. Um, so I think this will be a big issue for 2021 that that we'll work on. There'll, there'll be a bunch of issues in 2021. Mobile black spots for phones and all the mobile oh, coverage, yeah. that's a big issue. There's a, a leftover round of funding. They didn't spend all the money in their last round. This government never spends. It says it's going to spend all this stuff and it says, oh, look, we've got all this left over. This time they've decided to reallocate it to the telcos. So I'm in the process starting this week of collecting the addresses of all the mobile phone black spots or the really dodgy spots right. so that we can say to the telcos uh, prior to them putting in their applications, these are the problems and these are the people who want to see these problems solved. So we've got that issue that really affects the Hawkesbury and the mobile black spots in the Hawkesbury. Because so I think I heard you on that other radio station last week, Tony, you were promised the tower up your way. And it wasn't, uh, well, it was, the that, rug was pulled? Yeah, or? that was Bell's line of road. Yeah. So Mount Tomar. So yes, technically the Blue Mountains, but, you know, this side, this side mm. of the mountain. And that tower would have helped um, Barambing, Mount Tomar, Mount Wilson and po possibly Mount Irvine would have improved Very important in fires and emergencies, really my God. Really important, life-changing yeah. life and yeah. life-saving. Is, is, is it about money, people? What, what is it about? Prior what is the priorities? I don't know what the priorities are, but they obviously the federal government and the state government decided that the tower was better placed in a national party seat than in a... Labor held seat is the only conclusion we can draw. Yes, it's, I think it's uh, called it pork barrelling. It, it was disgraceful that yeah. they promised something. The minister came out, made a big deal about announcing it, and then promptly uh, a, a couple of years later walked away from it. I mean, it took them two years to even uh, start negotiating on a site for it, and then they walked away from it. I, I'm disgusted. I really am disgusted mm. at that. Uh, I see a lot of things that dismay me, and that one totally. Yeah, me. yeah, that's right on the rug. Well, righty, as Susie, our time's coming out. You're it prob is. You, where are you going from here? You're doing the round. It's the Christmas party. I'm going Christmas shopping. It's what is it? <laughs> Two o'clock on a on Christmas Eve. I better get some Christmas shopping done. Um, and then we're just having quiet family time for the next few days. Um, uh, yeah, it's just not a big party Christmas. We've we've had to we won't get to go to the thing we no normally do with friends on Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah. It will be a quiet family time, uh, and you know that will be nice. A bit of bit of downtime after the year that we've had, which I know some people have felt like they've spent a lot of time at home, but I've probably been less affected by COVID because of a requirement to head into the office and work. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just looking forward to a quiet few days. My <laughs> well, husband my husband tells me we're not, we're not doing presents this year, yeah. uh, but my husband has bought me unshucked oysters. So I get to watch him shuck oysters tomorrow for my Christmas <laughs> lunch. So I'm going to be pretty happy about that. You know the old saying, I bought a dozen oysters, only 10 work. <laughs> I have got my prawns in the fridge in the next studio. I went down to Coles, $27 a kilo. Great. Um, grapes and cherries. Beautiful. So that's, that's you know, yeah, we, we do, don't care we what do we pay from. We do it once, yeah. once a year. I do it once a year. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, on behalf of Hawkesbury Radio and everyone in the Hawkesbury that um, that love you and the great work we do, we wish you, you and family a Merry Christmas and looking forward to uh, working with you again in the new year. And the same to everybody. Drive safely, swim safely, be sensible, but have a lovely time. Thank you again. <laughs>